0: Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. This is episode 145, and today we'll be chatting with Gina Gotthilf, the VP of Growth and Marketing at Duolingo, a platform for free language education for the world. Gina is originally from Brazil, but has spent much of her career in New York. After a few years of working at social media agencies, Gina joined Tumblr to help lead their internationalization efforts in Brazil and South America. She then launched her own consulting company to help other US-based companies navigate these same complexities. Today, Gina is the VP of Growth and Marketing at Duolingo, a platform with over 170 million users worldwide. Gina joins us to share her story, how she started her career in tech, what it was like running her own internationalization consulting company, how she ended up joining the team at Duolingo, what it's been like growing the app internationally, how they've created an amazing community of contributors, and much more. So once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet at us at hacktostart, drop us an email, hey at hacktostart.com, or share your feedback right on iTunes with a review. Good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. So let's get started. Hey, Gina. Thanks so much for being on the show today.
1: Hey, Frankl. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're super excited to have you on the show and to, uh, you know, get the chance to hear your story and what you're up to at Duolingo. But before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Like, where are you from and what did you study?
1: Sure. It's actually, I think, uh, a little weird. I'm Brazilian. I've been living in the U.S. for the past 10 years-ish, and I studied philosophy, which is quite removed from what I do now.
0: That's really cool. So where did your passion for education and technology kind of come from?
1: so in I studied philosophy because I thought I wanted to be well I, I thought I either wanted to work for an NGO or I wanted to make films and be a film director so obviously you know things turned out very differently from what I originally thought and just as I was about to graduate I think actually I was a junior the career counselor lady looked at my resume and said what have you done with your life so far and it was such a disheartening moment because I'm like a super a student uh, overachiever type person and I was just like what do you mean and I guess I realized I didn't have any skills that would go nicely on a resume than like thinking reading so I started working at a neuroscience lab in college I worked at a neuroscience lab for a year I've been taking some neuroscience classes, it's something I'm really interested in that definitely, I think, looked good on the resume, as ridiculous as that, as that sounds. And eventually, I got a job at whatever job I could get, because as a foreigner trying to get a visa in the US and to live in New York, um, I applied to 100 different jobs. And I, I basically heard back from like two, and I accepted an internship at a digital media agency, and I didn't even know what that meant. Um, So it was kind of a long time between that and what I'm actually doing, which is bringing free language education to the world. But my passion for education far precedes that i've been teaching english to how do you say uh, people of low socioeconomic conditions in brazil both kids and adults in high school uh, as part of a program for several years so i really i've always cared about helping people get ahead through education and in particular i've always known the impact that learning a second language especially english can have on someone's life especially in a third world or developing country
0: Wow, that's an incredible story. So kind of continuing along some of those lines, in 2012, you ended up joining Tumblr to help lead their international growth efforts. And then following, you know, that experience, you ended up launching your own company, which was aimed at, you know, helping primarily US based startups with their internationalization efforts, especially in Brazil and other Latin American countries, like you mentioned. So why Brazil? And why is internationalization so critical to these kind of startups?
1: The funny thing about south america is that really depends on kind of like the year or the or the economic conditions of the country or the countries at the time um so when tumblr came into brazil there were a lot of companies interested in launching in brazil brazil is the second largest market for a lot of these popular online platforms that we know. There's just a lot of people online and people are very curious and like getting access to new technologies. And we're also very communicative and social as Brazilians. So there's a lot of interest there, but right now the country's really not doing well economically and a lot of the countries in South America aren't doing very well. So I think the interest has really waned. But when I started working with Tumblr, I noticed that there were a lot of these tech companies and also, and startups and even more traditional sort of digital media agency type platforms. They're all trying to get into Brazil There was a lot of ad dollars that could be made down there. And there were a lot of users, but nobody had the slightest idea of where to begin. And so I found myself in this really advantageous position where I kind of got you know, the quote unquote, American mindset, I worked for American companies, I got like the tech scene, i had been working with Tumblr, but I also understood the other side. So how things work in Brazil, I had a good network, and i had been able to help Tumblr grow quite efficiently there. And so I decided to apply those skills to kind of bridge that gap. To answer your second question, I think internationalization is hard because of a lot of different things. So first, it's really hard opening a company and going through all that bureaucracy in a place that you don't really know that well, there's a lot of legal stuff involved. And that's just complicated. Second, it's really hard to really know who your audience is going to be what your competitive landscape is like what are the what are the troubles you're going to face if you're going into a place that you don't know and if you're just an app and you're trying to internationalize which we do at Duolingo like very lightweight we don't open offices or hire people there's a lot of trouble there too because localization of of content is a lot harder than it seems in terms of getting translations right making sure that you're adapting things in a way that makes sense and thinking through all the little details that comes with that even like how do people search for your product and stuff like that.
0: Absolutely. Definitely a lot of challenges related to uh, internationalization. So through your consulting company, what were some of the biggest lessons or, or outcomes, you know, personally that you took out of that experience?
1: Oh, it was really cool. I really wanted to be an entrepreneur and I was tired of working for other people at the time. I had to have some very frustrating experiences prior to Tumblr. And so I really wanted to sort of be the agent that like owns my own futures, that, that, that kind of thing. Starting that company was... Awesome, but also hard because you know starting a company is hard. I was doing that by myself, and I was kind of trying to find clients completely by myself. I didn't have a, like a name, like a well-known name or anything like that. I wasn't advertising; it was very grassroots. And also, one of the coolest but more, uh, toughest parts about the business was that I basically presented myself as your first on-the-ground employee for whatever company you have, without you having to actually open a company in Brazil. And so the scope of things that I had to do was very vast, and I had to learn how to do a lot of different sort of jobs very quickly by myself and at a moment's notice. So for example, I was, I started doing a lot of PR, which is something that I hadn't done before figuring out how to plan conferences also hadn't really done much of that before. For one client, I had to actually sell their product to an agency. So actually go to like a well-known agency and act as if I was working there and actually learn how to talk about the product really intelligently. And it was very tech heavy and teach people how to use it and convince them to buy it. So it was just a lot of stuff, but I loved it because, no day was boring
0: absolutely it sounds like an amazing learning experience and speaking of you know not having any boring days today you're the vp of growth and marketing at duolingo an incredible app that i love and that you know over 170 million other people love so can you tell us a bit more about duolingo and how you created the opportunity to join the team there
1: So yeah, Duolingo is, for those people who don't know, it's a a platform bringing free language education to the world. Our mission is exactly that. Basically, as I said before, if you learn a second language, you can really improve your life opportunities. And a lot of the people who are learning a second language are doing so to get a better job. But learning a language is actually very expensive when you consider that in school, most people don't really learn a language. You have to have a tutor, you have to have a private teacher or travel, and most people can't afford that. So that's the idea behind Duolingo. Um, as you said, we've grown to 170 million users in about four and a half years with no paid acquisition. So it's been all organic and, and launched other products along the way, like tiny cards, which has like, it's an app for flashcards and also the Duolingo English test, which is a test that substitutes the TOEFL, which is that expensive test you have to take if you want to prove you speak English to get a job or to get into university. So they were actually one of my first clients. Of this like little agency that i opened in brazil because their former vp of marketing had worked with my supervisor at tumblr when they were at flickr because it's a very small and incestuous tech world <laughs> here in the u.s and so she asked him she said you know i noticed you guys grew a bunch in brazil last year what did you do can you recommend some people that i could work with is there an agency whatever and so he just said talk to china and i started working with them that way and it just became very apparent to me very early on that they were by far my favorite company to work with i love the mission i love the mission i I liked the the team. I thought, you know, I'd never worked with such intelligent and ambitious people and also very nice people, which was unusual for someone coming from the fashion world in New York. They were all very nice. So I really loved working with the team. I thought the mission was great and and I loved the work I was doing. And so eventually when they asked me to come on full time and take over for marketing, it took me, you know, a few months because I kind of was still in this whole like, no, I'm an entrepreneur, my own boss, I I don't want to work for someone anymore kind of thing. But eventually I came around because there was just no comparison between the work I was doing there and for other clients. And I wanted to come back to the United States.
0: Wow, that's a really cool story. And so what have been some of the biggest challenges of growing this type of educational consumer app?
1: There are lots. So first, you know, Duolingo is free. That's our mission. Now we're starting to try different monetization strategies. So for example, there's some in-app purchases and things like that. But the core product, the actual learning experience is completely free. It's always been completely free, which means that I didn't really have a marketing budget ever. So that's one difficulty, like trying to figure out how to make Company and a product become well known worldwide without a budget. So that was one thing. And then from kind of more of a personal point of view, for for people who work at tech-heavy companies, when you're not an engineer and sometimes when you're not a designer as well, it's easy to feel left out and sort of not really respected and getting things done because you're kind of this person who's trying to get a product well known without touching the product ever. So that's a challenge and getting buy-in inside the company, trying to get things to happen and proving that what you're doing is working. So I've come a long way now because I'm now as you said the VP of growth, which means I'm actually also in charge of growth product wise. And so I work with engineers and designers, but it took a long time to actually get here. And then the other thing is that, you know, education is not a super sexy area. Dating apps and photo apps, you know, the games are quote unquote sexier in the sense that there's just, you know, the known growth rate for those is for the successful ones is much higher. Um, Education platforms grow at a slower speed and also are known to have a lower roof in terms of sort of how far you can get in terms of growth and monetization. But that's something that we've we've been working with, and it it seems to be working out pretty well.
0: I'm glad you brought that industry challenge up because education apps have traditionally, you know, as you mentioned, been less sexy, but I definitely think Duolingo is, is changing that and challenging that since you guys are definitely leading the way with user retention, time spent in app through, you know, a combination of factors. And you also mentioned that you're now more involved in the product. So at a very high level, how do you think about growth and marketing for this type of app?
1: Yeah, so we're, we're kind of lucky in the sense that when we came along, I think Rosetta Stone had done a lot of the work for us in terms of convincing people that you can actually learn a language through software. I think that that was definitely a hard thing to do. I don't know if you've heard of Rosetta Stone, but they were kind of like the well-known language learning thing, like CD-ROM thing uh, back in the day and and we, we originally wanted to sort of take them over because it cost 500 bucks to buy the CD and it just it just felt unfair so that's one challenge when you see people you can actually learn something like on an app um, and that you're effective and getting people to try it out is easier for us because it's free so we have that going for us What we did in terms of the marketing is a lot of building brand awareness through social media. So we have a very strong brand voice and people who use Duolingo, I think on average, really care about the mission, really care about the fact that like, you know, free language education is important. Learning a language is important. And so we really built our image around that strongly on social media. And it has helped that people see us as kind of a positive brand in terms of getting the word out. We've also done a lot of PR because it's kind of like that, I told you like that skill that I sort of picked up, while working at Tumblr in Brazil in terms of trying to get very large mass awareness without actually paying a lot of media dollars. Because if you get featured on very important newspapers and magazines in its particular country, then you get a lot of, of views. You get a lot of people learning about your product. And we did that in several countries around the world and launched Duolingo in Turkey, in India, Japan, China, Korea. So I was there like trying to make that happen and meet the media. And that was that was super interesting and worked out. And from a product perspective, it's it's really a, we call it like a game of inches when you talk about growth, like product growth. It's really trying to figure out where can we optimize metrics so that people have an easier time signing up, getting to see what your product is all about, being interested in it, sticking around long. Longer, you know doing more lessons coming back tomorrow coming back a week from now or even like a month from now telling their friends about it so the work there is mainly just kind of brainstorming a lot and reading user feedback and then trying to prioritize what we think can have the largest impact in terms of growth running a bunch of different experiments at the same time of which almost half normally fail that's no, like that's normal for us and watching those numbers steadily increase
0: Wow, you just covered a lot in that response. I feel like uh, we could spend a few hours talking about some of the points you just made there. But on the topic of experiments and growing the product, mobile is obviously huge for you guys, especially in the US. So I'm curious, how do you approach creating that experience for an international audience? And how do you keep pushing the mobile experience forward?
1: Yeah, so the interesting thing to hear is that Duolingo was actually originally a website. And then we launched our mobile app as kind of like like website companion app, you know? And now we have over 80%, maybe even 85% of our users are on mobile. So it's like far surpassed and you know, internationally it's growing a bunch too, especially on Android. In terms of scaling that out, we have kind of taken a non-traditional approach of not really going crazy on localizations in terms of the actual look and feel of the app and the content. It's really the same all over the world. The lingo is the same. We've been thinking things super consistent. And so th- the things that we actually do for internationalization are first launching in a country for us means that we're launching a language course for speakers of that language. For example, in the next two weeks, we'll be launching English for Thai speakers which means we're basically launching in Thailand so until now you could go to the app store in Thailand and you could download Duolingo but it wasn't going to be available in Thai like the UI language in Thai so that's the first thing we do and the way we do that is interesting we have a platform called the Duolingo incubator and it's basically a website that allows people from all over the world to come together and collaborate to create courses for other people to learn from so for example if you are a Thai person living in Thailand and you had the opportunity of learning English and you think, wow, I really want to give back and I think that it would be great if people in my country spoke English, you can collaborate and participate in making this course. So these courses were created by contributors. That's our first step. And then making sure that everything is properly localized. And that's like from everything from the actual content of the app to how we talk about it, what our app page looks like, you know, looking at it from an SEO standpoint. And then, and then also, you know, we do some localization. So the actual content doesn't get just translated by contributors, but localized in the sense of coming up with things that actually make sense to people in country and you know making sure that the idioms are idioms that make sense and the examples are examples that make sense and then we do a lot of we try to do a lot of PR whenever possible so finding interesting top media in that country and then telling them the story and and, and luckily the story of Duolingo was really cool. Our co-founder is the guy who invented the captcha Um, he sold two companies to Google in his 20s and he won a MacArthur decided that he never had to work a day in his life anymore and wanted to dedicate his life to improving education and giving people access to education to learning a language and country where they might not have the money to do so and so and that and the story of how duolingo sort of grew kind of what i'm telling you now has been of high interest to reporters all over the world which has helped us gain brand awareness in all those different places
0: absolutely it's a fantastic story so what's next for duolingo
1: there's a button so we're launching a language that people have been asking for Profusely since day one of Duolingo. I can't say which one it is because we just posted a teaser campaign on social media saying, like, we're launching something soon. but we'll, we'll say what it is next week. Basically, we're launching launching a new course that people have really been asking for and we've taken forever to build because it was hard. So, we're doing that. In terms of the product, there's a lot going on. So, last year we launched the chatbot, which is basically this functionality that allows you to practice speaking a language, you know, actually having a real conversation, real, like in quotes. But instead of with a human, which is A, sometimes inaccessible. So like if I'm learning French, I may not know someone who speaks French or I may not be able to travel to France or afford a private tutor, um, but also kind of makes people uncomfortable. Like, you not you barely know how to speak French and now you have to talk to like a person and answer questions and understand things in real time. So we created a bot with which you can do that now in chat version and eventually it'll be in voice version too. So it asks you questions, you respond and based on your response, it, you know, the conversation takes different different paths. So we're working on the intelligence of those bots to make them more more intelligent, more adaptive, quicker, more interesting, and eventually adding voice functionalities. We are further developing tiny cards, like I said, the app in terms of making sure that it's exactly what students really need when they're looking for a flashcard app. And then we have a bunch of other sort of test projects that we've started running on the side. We have something new at Duolingo called Duolingo Labs where people at Duolingo can sort of create their own product that they think, you know, would be a cool sort of addendum to the core product. And then depending on the traction that they get, it could be incorporated into into Duolingo. I think those are the top things I can think of right now.
0: Wow, that's a ton of stuff. Sounds like a busy year ahead. So coming back to the experiments and you just mentioned the Duolingo Labs side project as well as you know crowdsourced lessons earlier, how do you approach fostering that kind of community to get people involved in contributing their knowledge but also pushing the product forward?
1: Yeah, it's not it's not super easy because when you have volunteers, first of all, that's awesome that you have volunteers and people who believe in your mission and are willing to put in time to help make it happen and that's that's been really core for us but it's also difficult because those are not duolingo employees and we can't require anything of them we can't make them work at a faster pace you know it's all sort of like contributions so managing that and making sure that our network of contributors which is now quite large i don't know the number off the top of my head but like hundreds of contributors that they're happy that they feel like they're being listened to and working together well um and having no trouble with the actual platform is not trivial and we have a community team that has really helped us do that effectively the crowdsource part is really just the languages and people and we have our contributors are all over the world i i met some that were in amsterdam but we have contributors in japan and thailand and they work together online on their own time and they basically work on adding new sentences for people to learn translating things etc and they have this platform the incubator allows them to sort of chat with each other and update each other and they definitely develop a relationship with each other which is cool to see too. like this shared interest in building this course in terms of getting things to be pushed forward the main difficulty there is that we can't really you know require a deadline or anything like that so we try to help as much as possible to get things done in a way that allows people to have access to that course as quickly as possible but in terms of our other everything else that we're doing it's not really crowdsource it's all built by duolingo employees of course We're constantly reading what people are writing on social media, on the forums and the feedback we're getting as inspiration for new ideas. But the way we we decide to actually do something based on those ideas is looking at it, considering what we think the actual impact could be if it was successful, um, then looking at the amount of work that's required and prioritizing. And that's hard, I think, sometimes for the community to understand when they really think that something's a really good idea and it has to be done now. To understand that the company has like a list of a hundred things that we need to do And that we prioritize it based on those very different things. And that's why we're not doing them as quickly as people would like us to.
0: Yeah, it's always a significant challenge. So you've shared a bunch of different experiences with us. What do you think some of the most or the most impactful moment of your career has been?
1: I think there were two. The two most impactful moments of my career would be one when Tumblr invited me to come work for them. I think that changed everything for me and it was, I really like to tell that story because I really was at a moment in time when I felt like things weren't working out for me. I really just wasn't going to succeed. I've been working at digital media agencies in New York. I'd had really bad experiences. I found the environment really toxic. I eventually decided to leave the United States because the whole visa thing was so difficult and I felt like my work life was so difficult and things weren't working. And when I started working with Tumblr, it really showed me sort of this other thing that I hadn't been doing that I actually happened to be quite good at. And then when I got offered this opportunity, it sort of started giving me kind of recognition that really helped me power through, helped me become a, like a known person in Brazil and eventually in the United States in terms of my professional skills. And I think has really defined my career. The second most important moment of my career, even though it's not, didn't actually do anything, was meeting President Obama. So I last year, or maybe the year before that now, I had the amazing opportunity to go to the White House and present Duolingo to President Obama himself. And that was to me, just unbelievable, and I think a moment that I will remember forever.
0: Wow, that's incredible! Can you tell us a little bit more about that moment and like what Obama said to you or thought about the product?
1: Well, the first cool thing about the moment is that I actually had no idea I was going to meet President Obama because it was it was the White House first demo day, and you know, given where we are politically right now, probably the last. Uh, so I had no idea that I that he was actually going to be there, I was basically told, okay, people from the White House are going to be walking around and you just kind of explain what Duolingo is. So I wasn't really thinking very much of it because I do that all the time. So I only found out really that we were going to be presenting to the president himself because we were selected. We were a small group selected within that small group to present 10 to 15 minutes before he showed up. So that was kind of a shock. I spent my whole time really trying to make sure that I was saying words that made sense because (laughs) it was kind of such a flabbergasting experience that I just really wanted to keep my cool. But it was just, it was unbelievable to me to be in that close of a proximity and talking directly to someone who I admire so highly in terms of the conversation it was pretty cool he said that he himself had had trouble learning Spanish growing up felt very sort of self-conscious about his pronunciation that he would have loved to have a product like Duolingo to learn Spanish and that he would love to try it out but that the White House didn't let him have a smartphone or anything with like data so he couldn't yet um, and now it's you know who knows if he's actually if he's actually tried it out since
0: that sounds like a really cool moment and definitely something that would be very memorable. So as a conclusion, given your story and background, what final advice would you have to share with entrepreneurs, especially ones living in a different country who want to start a career in tech or, or really any career? What advice would you have for them?
1: There are a couple of ways to answer that question. The more constructive way probably today is just keep learning. And I, I I don't take classes or anything like that, but I'm constantly trying to read new things online and trying to, if I don't understand something, write it down so that as soon as I have time, I can look it up and figure out what what's going on And build your knowledge constantly. Because if you don't everyone else, like a lot of people around you will be doing that and you will fall behind. In terms of a less constructive one, I think something that I've really depended on, especially in the beginning of my career was fake it till you make it, which I know sounds ridiculous. But really, I've learned over time that a lot of people, if not everyone is kind of faking it. And everyone is kind of doubting their abilities to be doing whatever it is that they're doing. And sometimes you just have to sort of really be confident that you can do something and then go and do it even if you really think you're, you're not ready. And that's the best way. To, to get ahead and the other thing is you know whatever a job it is that you're doing just try to do the best possible job in the world so I was like a babysitter in college and I remember thinking I'm going to be the best babysitter I'm going to make the best mac and cheese and these guys are going to have the best time and I think that there's no job for which that doesn't apply
0: absolutely I couldn't think of a better way to end the episode Gina thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today
1: thank you Franco for the opportunity
0: Well, that's another episode of Hack to Start. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again soon. Remember to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as on the web at hacktostart.com. We honestly couldn't do this show without your awesome support, so if you liked what you heard, feel free to share it on Twitter, or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and until next week.